0: Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato.
1: And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis.
0: And Jacob, on the show this week, we have three stories. The first one is on the MGM hack and how it's messed with the company's operations. After that, we have a segment with reporter Gabby Bierenbaum. On vote by mail and how the Republican Party is changing its messaging around vote by mail.
1: And at the end of the show, I join Joey alongside our reporter, Janelle Calderon, to talk about the fight between the teachers union and the Clark County School District and how that's heating up in court. I
0: am here with reporter extraordinaire, Howard Stutz. Howard, you have been a busy bee from everything from all the F1 stuff and everything related to the sphere and the changing of the CEO at Resorts World. And there's just a lot going on in the world of gaming news. But the big story that I saw all over the headlines was this hack that happened to MGM.
2: Yeah, it's been a little busy. And yeah, that was a national story. I mean, it got picked up by a lot of different national news outlets. And it's because MGM, I mean, all of a sudden... A week ago, Sunday, started seeing problems in their systems. And by Monday morning, their entire website was down. They were sending out messages via a Gmail account because they didn't have access to their email. So I drove over there that Monday to uh, Luxor and Excalibur, and there were slot machines that were down. And I found out later it was company-wide. It wasn't just Vegas. It was their casinos in Ohio and Massachusetts and, and all that. Their operations were working, but it was old fashioned. They were checking people out by hand and writing out receipts that way. The ticket in, ticket out system that we use in slot machines now, the cashless gaming. It wasn't cashless anymore. I mean, it was basically they had to do hand pays. And for a while, that first day, We put some photos up. There was like one slot machine at at Mandalay Bay. It was a Game of Thrones slot machine. They dollar $1.95 and the person just walked away because we didn't want to wait around for somebody to pay him $1.95. But saw a guy at the Excalibur who had $1,200 sitting on his machine and he said, I'm not going anywhere. And he'd been there like 45 minutes waiting for someone. So it seems as we're speaking here today that things are starting to work out. The websites are back up. This wasn't just an MGM story we found out. Yeah, I mean, tell me more about that. I mean, it affected like a lot. MGM was the, got the hack, but Caesar's was also hacked and admitted it in an SEC filing. They didn't say how much. They didn't say they paid ransom, but they said basically it, it all it'll lose the it, they probably did pay ransom of some sort because they were hacked. What they admitted to in an SEC filing was they lost uh, customer data for their players rewards program, which is the largest in the industry. The comment was that they got it resolved, and the information was being destroyed though they can't really verify it, but that's what happened so that's the difference m g m we don't know if customer data got taken we don't know the the out the outset of that m g m got got hacked back in twenty nineteen on a cloud server pack where they lost a lot of customer data and a lot of customer data was compromised so private information like passport numbers and social security numbers and addresses. So yeah, it, we don't know the extent of this one. Yeah, we won't know probably for some time. And I mean, there was a statement put out that their their operations weren't being affected, but
0: obviously by you going and seeing the people waiting at the slot machines. But there was also like people just trying to check into the hotels, right? And they had to wait like hours. Oh, yeah,
2: it was long check-in time because the, the system was down. Their mobile app service was working. Because a woman told me is is sitting in Luxor. She checked out on her mobile app. It was fine that way. So there, there was some of that stuff was working, but a lot of the stuff was just not working. Checking in, checking out. I, I didn't see a lot of the, uh, the gaming floor. The, the table games were working. They'd been apparently in some of the sportsbook operations were down. It's been a challenge for MGM. And, and like I said, this got national attention when Caesars was involved. Two of the largest, Two of the largest hotel casino operators in the U.S., were the victim of cyber attacks. H-
0: have there ever been any other major cyber attacks like this in, in casino history?
2: As I alluded to, the MG- MGM got hacked in 2019 during the, the the national. It's a gaming legislators conference. This was brought up last winter at Resorts World in their winter meeting. Here they said this is something that you need to watch. And one of the the stories that's always you know been out there was the Las Vegas Sands was the victim of a cyber attack. It took down all the company's websites for their casinos. But at the time, remember, Sands had the two casinos in Las Vegas. They had a casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. They got taken down and were, lost a lot of customer information. It took them weeks to rebuild those, those websites. Sands admitted later on, it cost them about $40 million to, to repair all this damage back in 2014. And then we learned about a year later, the U.S. government finally, the State Department finally put out an explanation that the country of Iran hacked Las Vegas Sands, and did the cyber attack, was behind the cyber attack because of some comments. The late Sheldon Adelson, CEO, founder, chairman of Las Vegas Sands Corporation, made that year at a, some event in New York City, it cost the company $40 million.
0: So uh, you, like you said things are coming back online now. I I guess they're not going to release like everything and how this has affected like their business. What's the speculation
2: there? They're going to have to say something in an SEC filing. That that's going to have to be said because if it's a material cost to the company, which it probably will be whatever the cost has been. I mean Caesars never said what the cost was when their SEC filing, but they said something happened. SANS Sands has made statements they put one into an SEC filing, but they're going to have to do, disclose a lot more at some point. So we may mm-hmm. learn the extent of everything eventually. But it's a warning sign that the casino industry is not immune to this type of cyber attacks. It's, they're not immune to it. I mean, it's happened with other industries in the US, we know. But yeah, this is this is the casino industry, despite all the efforts put into cyber technology and tri- cyber security, they're not immune. And that's something that was learned this week.
0: So, Howard, to wrap up, everything in these casinos now, I mean, I remember in 2020, we were talking about everything is just getting integrated and it's becoming cashless. And it's all online or on the cloud from like the check-in apps to the slot machines. Everything is connected to the Internet in some way, which obviously makes it more vulnerable to hacks. So these are these integrated mega businesses. And does
2: that kind of lead like to more vulnerability in a way? Absolutely, Joey, especially for a company like MGM Resorts. It's not just Vegas, like I said earlier. I mean, this was their casinos in in outside Maryland near Washington, D.C., Massachusetts, New York. It, it didn't affect their operations in Macau because that runs on a completely different system through their Chinese subsidiary. But this is a serious message to the industry because, yeah, everything is connected through the internet. I mean, you make not only your hotel reservations, but your restaurant reservations are online. Obviously, betting is done online in some of the states. MGM does have online casinos in New Jersey and Massachusetts. Online sports betting through MGM, which is a separate company. so that, And that wasn't uh, affected at all by the, by the hack. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Everything we do in these properties, a lot of it's all done online with reservations, show tickets, everything around it. So it becomes a little bit of a serious challenge. And that's what I think MGM was has got a wake-up call this, in this last couple of weeks.
0: All right, Howard, thank you so much for reporting on this and for telling me all about it. And I know you've got a lot of other things that are coming up that you're covering. So I'll let you get
2: back to it, but thanks so much. Anytime, Joey. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm here with DC reporter Gabby Bierenbaum. Gabby, you've been on the pod a lot lately because there's been a lot of news happening that you end up getting to cover. So welcome back to the pod for, I think, I don't know, like the third or fourth week in a row.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Joey. Yeah, as long as they keep making news in politics, I'll be here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I asked last week how the weather was. I'm assuming the weather is probably similar, hot and muggy.
3: It's like been slightly better, but still, yeah, muggy, humid. But then that means they're blasting the AC in the capitals like you can't quite figure out how to dress. So it's been it's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, We call
0: that (laughs) we call that the Vegas conundrum here in Reno.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Here in
0: Reno, the, the fall air is starting to there's a tinge of the fall air coming. You can you can feel it.
3: I'm jealous. We have no such no such thing going on here yet.
0: Soon, I'm sure. But yeah, so we're talking again because last week we talked about the caucus versus the primary for the Republicans. They are having both a primary and a caucus two days apart. And it's a little bit of a confusing situation. And we'll hop back to that in a second. But also now Republicans are talking about mail-in ballots, something that they've traditionally they were, you know, they were like, oh, we don't want universal mail-in ballots. They felt like it was unsecure for the election. But now they're saying that people should be doing mail-in ballots, right?
3: Yeah. So basically, I think uh, they've come to the realization that as long as there are going to be mail-in ballots and early voting, that that's something they should take advantage of. I think I was on a call yesterday with Ronna McDaniel, who's the chairman of the Republican National Committee, and it seemed like basically she made a strategy calculation. She felt like having the vast majority of Republicans only vote on Election Day, she likened it to starting a football game in the fourth quarter while Democrats have been playing in the first, second and third. So she was clear. And Michael McDonald, the chairman of the Nevada GOP, is very clear that they don't like these laws. McDaniel, Joe Lombardo, the governor, Mark Amadei, the one federally elected Republican who's a congressman. They were all in on trying to get Republicans to use these voting methods that uh, had been dominated by Democrats in past cycles.
0: So with this kind of shift in strategy, is this going to change how the state is dealing with its weird primary versus caucus
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, one would think, and that came up on the call, basically, now Republicans are switching course and saying we should use mail-in voting and early voting. But then you have the Republican Party in the state saying that they don't trust a state-run primary, partly because of that. And they're going to run their own caucus in which you have to vote in person on the day out. You can't vote early. You can't vote via the mail unless you're active duty military. And so I think that definitely was a little bit of tension. And someone asked Chairman McDonald about that, and he basically said, we need to comply with the election laws that we want to see in our Republican caucus. So I think that type of tension is something that the party's going to have to navigate, particularly because from President Trump on down, they've spent uh, a better part of the last four years telling people to not trust these voting methods. And I think they realized they were doing that perhaps at their own peril. They want to change course, but it's a little awkward when the state party is also saying, we don't trust those voting methods in a primary, and we're going to hold a caucus instead.
0: And just a quick note, there is McDaniel and McDonald. That can be a little confusing. So McDaniel, the national RNC chair, and then McDonald is the Nevada RNC chair, right?
3: Yep. Ronna McDaniel, national, Michael McDonald, Nevada.
0: You got to get some new names in there. (laughs) So I want to zoom out here a little bit, actually, and talk about the Republican Party and what we're seeing with it going on right now. Because With the Democrats, I think I hear the more progressive wing of the party is, I think, like, oh, we we don't want, like, oh, Pelosi's running again and Biden's really old. And there's a kind of this, like, there's a bunch of old people in the Democratic Party, but they're not, like, trying to get him out. They've kind of accepted that, like, Biden's going to run again. And it seems like they're all working in some cohesive manner, whether they're happy about it or not. But on the Republican side, obviously, they don't have a president in power right now. So it's a little bit of a different story. But it seems like it's very divided at the moment.
3: Yeah, I think I read a smart take that um, they're kind of having opposite problems. I think on the left, there's been a little bit of lack of enthusiasm for Biden, particularly given his age. I think people respect his policies and what he's done if you're a Democrat, but you're, you might be a little worried. You might not be as enthusiastic. He was seen, I think, in 2020 as this transition candidate. But the Democratic elites, members of Congress, these interest groups are all pretty aligned and saying we're behind Biden for 24. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. I think on Republicans, that's the other side. I think you're seeing so far in polling, and we'll see if this plays out in the primaries and caucuses, that Trump has had a dominant lead. But I think there's real concern among Republican elites, certainly among a lot of Republican senators, Mitch McConnell among them, and then some of the big interest groups there, business, community and whatnot, that Trump can't win and that he's too erratic and that he's in serious legal peril. And they would like to, I think the Republican donor class would very much like to move on to someone different. So I think in both cases, you're having a disconnect between the base and sort of the party elites on whether this candidate is a good candidate.
0: All right, Gabby, thank you so much for giving us this update. I'm sure we will be seeing a lot more of this shifting political dynamics and kind of the nuances of Republican and Democratic policies and politics and uh, politicking. As we move ever closer to that elusive—or not (laughs) elusive—it's not—it's not not elusive. The the ever (laughs) encroaching election in 2024. It is is barreling towards us like a train. It's not trying to hide.
3: Yep, we'll monitor who people vote for, what method of voting they use. Lots of dimensions to consider, but it's it's coming for sure. (laughs) All right.
0: Thanks, Gabby. Appreciate it. Thank you. I am here with reporter Janelle Calderon and my co-host Jacob Solis. And we're going to be talking today about CCSD, Clark County School District. Normally, our education reporter, Rocio, would be talking about this, but Rocio is off today. And so we've got you guys here to tell me all about the chaos that is happening in CCSD. There's a lot to go over. But just to give a brief overview. So some teachers at some schools were calling out sick and a district court judge said that, hey, this is actually a a form of striking, which is something that teachers cannot do in Clark County School District. And now it has gotten complicated. And Jacob, can you tell me a little bit about like what started this whole thing?
1: Yeah, well, put simply, this whole thing is about the teacher's contract with CCSD. So CCEA, the Clark County Education Association, the largest teachers union in Nevada, and the main one in Clark County, has been negotiating for months with CCSD. And a lot of it hinges on what happened in the legislative session, where lawmakers added not only $2 billion extra to the K-12 budget, but created a $250 million pot of additional money that was purely to increase teacher pay. Now, CCSD has argued that that is one-time money and they could add it for these next two years and then it sunsets and it's gone presumably forever unless lawmakers want to reauthorize it again in 2025. But they could not possibly, they argue, plan long-term with that amount of money. Whereas CCEA argues the union that the legislature gave that money to the district for the express purpose of raising teacher pay, now raise teacher pay. And basically, they've reached an impasse where literally CCSD has called CCEA's proposals budget busting, that it would ruin them. And obviously, CCEA is saying that CCSD is dragging its feet and misrepresenting what that money is for and all this kind of stuff. And uh, like you said, this led to what are called sick outs. Now, just to clarify, there is no evidence incontrovertibly that teachers are coordinating to call out sick. However, at multiple schools, multiple times in the last week in Clark County, schools have had to shut down for the day because there are 20 or 30 teachers called out sick all at the same time, and they can't actually hold classes that day. So that's what's been happening. The CCSD has accelerated their investigations of that. They say, like, they've put out notices that say, like, we're going to look into whether or not you were actually sick and allowed to call out. And CCEA, for its part, has said, we haven't done any of this.
0: Okay, so we've got these teachers out sick, maybe uh, unclear, really. And this district court judge said, hey, this is a form of striking. Apparently, I think this is something that some people didn't realize is that teachers are not allowed to strike. Uh, Why is that? So no,
1: no public employee is allowed to strike. And that includes teachers. And technically, sick outs can be considered a strike. But like proving that it's a real sick out is the problem. Now, the thing is, is the union has discussed in the past, these quote unquote sick outs, right? As a method of circumventing the law and striking anyways. But proving that is extraordinarily difficult. I believe it was either today or yesterday, the Las Vegas Review Journal published some internal slides from a union presentation over the summer, June or July, where they discussed the possibility of doing something like this. But obviously, more recently, it seems to be more of a grassroots thing. There was a CCSD whistleblower email. If anyone looks into the lawsuit, which are wild, but probably too complicated to go into here. But the long and short of it is that state law doesn't let any public employee strike. So we've had a bunch of schools
0: actually closing now because teachers have called out sick. Uh, Janelle, what's the parents' reaction been to this? You know, these students can't go to school now for a couple of days.
4: Yeah, so I was able to speak with some moms of like, where do we put our kids? Because if we can't call out of work or kids can't just stay home, putting the burden on our older children is not fair as well because maybe their school is not canceled. So they still need to be going to school and the younger kids are just going to be staying home by themselves. So that would be a problem. So one of the moms was telling me that she is a stay-at-home mom and she coordinated with her neighbors to let them know that if the school was to cancel, she can take care of the kids for the day. So they've been figuring things out. A lot of these families can't call sick or they have limited days that they can call out as well. On the other hand, though, I also reached out to City of Las Vegas, Park County, City of North Las Vegas, and Henderson, and they have set some temporary alternative care for elementary aged kids, specifically Henderson and City of Las Vegas have already coordinated with community centers to let kids be there for the day. It does cost some money, like $20 or $15 for the day, but it's a place where kids can go and not be alone at home.
0: And so we've got these kids that are having to either go to a library or a community center or stay at home or they, they, they can't go to school right now because there's not enough teachers. You have these teachers calling out sick, theoretically in protest of lack of teacher raises. What is the end game at this point?
1: We finally reached a stage where everything is blowing up rather rapidly. So a couple things to note. One, the district earlier this week, maybe about a week ago, by the time you're listening to this, declared an impasse. There was no way that they could do this without an arbitrator. And so they need some third party to come in and negotiate with the union in the district and hash out something, right? And that arbitrator would come in, look at all the books and tell everyone what they have to agree to. Obviously, that is a breaking case of emergency. They are really had loggerheads, frankly, the arbitration process, which is not particularly speedy, right? We're looking at the order of weeks at a minimum. And so I think teachers will get some kind of raise, but what that raise looks like and how that interacts with what the district wants, I think that's all up in the air right now. And
0: uh, Janelle, just to wrap up here, ultimately school's about children. How is this impacting the kids?
4: I've seen on social media, so comments saying that, especially from parents saying that kids are being impacted. They- there are concerns of what if there's food insecurity and school is the only place where the child can get a meal for the day. There's also concerns of loss of like the track of the curriculum, right? And having to make up days. There are concerns, but there's also the argument of like if the teacher is stressed and doesn't have a contract and can barely make ends meet to themselves, is that really fair? Are they actually getting the education? That they need because the teacher is so stretched. Then teachers are being discouraged from working more than they need to, than the seven hours, eleven minutes that they need to work. So clubs, like after-school clubs, especially like robotics clubs, or like after-school clubs, have been canceled. One mom was telling me that her daughter was super excited, and now she's like bonked that she can't participate in robotics this year. And that's because the teacher told them that she's not getting compensation needed to work these after-school program, the materials, the weekends to go to competitions. One of the moms is telling me that her daughter, robotics is what was keeping her encouraged and motivated to go to school.
0: Hopefully, you know, this all gets resolved and we'll be following it closely as negotiations and the arbitrator are underway. And Jacob and Janelle, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this. Thanks, Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank Howard Stutz, Gabby Bierenbaum, and Janelle Calderon for being on the show today. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, along with Jacob Sleese and Alex Kuro, and additional help from Michelle Rendells. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at nvindie.com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week.